0: So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500. And that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. 24 hours until the new CNBC show premieres, Follow the Leader, starts tomorrow, April 6th, 10 p.m. Eastern Pacific. DVR that. Set your alarms or be awake while it's airing. And then I will also be on Twitter, just live chatting. There'll be like kind of a behind the scenes, after hours live Twitter chat. So if you have questions about the show, want to know what was really going on, I'll be live on Twitter uh, taking your questions. So just wanted to remind you of that. Very excited. And also really looking forward to unveiling today's guest. He's a New York Times bestselling author, Chris Gillibo. He's written The Happiness of Pursuit, The $100 Startup. You might've heard that when it was a New York Times bestseller. And now he's got a new book out called Born for This, How to Find the Work You Were Meant to Do. It's actually out Today, April 5th. It's uh, his latest book, which talks about the intersection of joy, money, and flow, which he believes are all key to helping you mind the work that perfectly suits your unique interests, skills, and experiences. More about Chris, he has spent his lifetime self-employed, so he knows a thing or two about being an entrepreneur. And his real passion is travel. He's visited every single country in the world, 193 countries, all before his 35th birthday. He also hosts a yearly summit every summer in Portland, Oregon called the World Domination Summit. You know, just a small title, where creative people come together to attend keynotes, attendee-led meetups, workshops, a citywide scavenger hunt, and even a Guinness World Record attempt. So if you're planning on being in Portland, Oregon in August, this is the event to check out. Some of the things that we talk about with Chris, you know, he talks about how this book is really meant to help people win the career lottery. But what does he actually mean by that? That That's actually a term that makes me nervous because when I think of career lottery, I think like you have no control over your career path. And I would hate to believe that. And did you know that Chris has been to Iran? Kind of putting me to shame because I'm Iranian and I've only been there once and I was way too young to remember. I was like an infant and he was there not too long ago. So he tells me a little bit about that experience I was dying to find out and then what is his $10 rule what is a $10 rule what is it what so you know we talk about money as well here is Chris Guillebeau Chris Guillebeau welcome to so money you are a hard man to nail down but I'm so (laughs) proud that I've got you on the show
1: I am so honored to be here. Thank you.
0: Congratulations on your new book. Your latest is called Born for This, How to Find the Work You Were Meant to Do. And of course, your previous books were bestsellers, The $100 Startup, So Famous, and of course, The Happiness of Pursuit. I love the title of that book. With Born for This, the goal here, as I understand, is to really help readers win what you call the career lottery. And I have to say, though, Chris, to hear you call... To put those two words in one sentence, like career lottery, it makes me nervous. It makes me feel like I don't have control over my career destiny. But what are you really trying to get across with that?
1: Yes, it is an interesting word, lottery. You know, I, I do a lot of research for all my books. And you know, for this one in particular, it's been a three-year process of, of talking to all kinds of people from many different backgrounds who had all found or created their dream jobs. And they actually tended to use this phrase, you know, career lottery. I feel like I've won the lottery. You know, I go to work every day because I want to go to work. I would do it for free, but fortunately, I don't have to because I also get paid well. So I wanted to kind of extrapolate the lessons from these people. You know, what have they learned that other people can follow? What are the actionable strategies? What is unique just for them? And what are things that everyone can do, you know? to get closer to winning the career lottery, because the lottery itself is, is not hackable. It is random, as you said, like you have no influence over the results. Uh, but what I found is that the career lottery, you know, there actually are things that you can do, not just to get ahead. It's not like a rat race thing. It's uh, much more about fulfillment and purpose and true wealth, which, of course, includes money, um, but it also includes life satisfaction, working on something that you believe in and using your skills to the best of your ability.
0: I kind of see this book as being the next iteration of perhaps the four hour work week, where that was like one of the very first career books that, you know, I guess in modern time that really, um, transformed the way people think about structuring their careers. And so in that context, where does born for this fit, you know, where, how does it differentiate? Do you find that people are still interested in this, you know, um, work, uh, smarter, not harder uh, attitude. What did you find?
1: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm actually kind of a big believer in hard work, actually. Like I do think it's important to work to you know, work smart. Um, but when I kind of look back at my career, like I've actually worked pretty hard, you know, for what I've done, I, I when I think of a trajectory of the philosophy, I kind of go back even even you know way before that. I mean, I think about you know, the book, Your Money and Your Life. I think about, uh, you know, Barbara shared wrote a book called Wishcraft, which was very, very helpful, I believe, in the early 90s uh, in terms of helping people like visualize, okay, I don't actually have to follow a traditional career path. I can create something for myself. There is power in dreaming, uh, but it's not just dreaming. It's not about manifesting something or visualizing something. It's it's that I can have this dream and then I can take practical steps to get closer to that dream. So my, my goal with with the new book is, that readers won't just you know, pick up the book and say, oh, that's interesting, or I like the book. And my goal is always that they will you know, read the book and say, oh, you know, I read this, then I applied this. I did something different in my career. You know, I, I kept my day job maybe, but I started a side hustle you know, to bring in some extra income. Or this helped me transition out of my day job and into something you know, more valuable and more meaning, meaningful for myself. So I really hope like, my goal is like every page, there's something that the reader can do. And I know you do this in your book too. Like I really want it to be prescriptive and, and practical and actionable.
0: Yeah, it's very important. What did you learn through this process that you were able to apply to your own life? What was the, maybe the big lesson you came across that was a big aha moment for you personally?
1: Yeah, great question. I think you know, I think I had this moment of awareness that, you know, I I have not followed a linear path in life. And I've done a lot of different things. I was an aid worker, been an entrepreneur for 15 years, started this career as a writer, had this quest of going to every country in the world. And, you know, maybe this is, this is egocentric, but I guess for a while, I thought that was kind of unique. I was like, well, I just, you know, I'm special because I followed this non-linear path. What I found is that actually most successful people, or at least a lot of them, they all have kind of Zags, and they all have made different choices and they've gone down one path and they've actually kind of gone back and done something different. Most of the really successful people who had found their dream job didn't necessarily know what that was going to be when they were six years old and thinking about what they wanted to be when they grew up or even when they went to college or decided what they were going to do about their education. Lots of them had more than one career and, as I said, nonlinear path. And eventually it kind of brought them to, you know, whatever that dream job was. So I guess I realized, like, maybe I'm not that special. Maybe it's like an <laughs> awareness of, of looking back and like, there's a lot of people like this, which is great.
0: Well, really, what it's teaching people is to embrace uncertainty. And I think it was Tony Robbins and probably many people before him who preach that the more uncertainty that you can stomach in your life, the more clo- like the more you're able to embrace that wholeheartedly, I think the 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 more success you'll have. Um, Interesting, yeah. our, people like certainty, you know, we like knowing right, right. what's around the corner. Um, it's, it's reassuring, it's, uh, less scary, but, um, maybe you have to just Im- embrace the, the unknown sometimes in order to get ahead, um, and to leap further along than someone else who's just kind of staying the course.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's not just about taking risks necessarily. Maybe it's about thinking about risk differently. And so it's not just like be bold, take this leap of faith, you know, into uncertainty. I think it's it's about kind of building this foundation. There's this uh Steve Jobs quote that says, you know, you know when you look back, you can't you can't connect the dots looking forward. You don't necessarily see how everything is building towards something, but when you look back later, you know, you're able to. So you have to trust that the dots will connect to something. And I really like that quote, but I guess what I'm trying to kind of add to that philosophy is it's not just about trusting, it's not just about making this this leap of faith. There are actually you know steps you can take to build a bridge, you know, from one dot to the next, so that so that it doesn't feel so uncertain, so that it doesn't feel like I'm right. taking this huge risk all the time.
0: And what I like about Born for This is that it's not just another book about how to become an entrepreneur, which <laughs> is obviously one way to win the career lottery for some, but for others, I think it's also like how do I actually win the career lottery at a company,
1: (laughs) working for somebody
0: else, which someone's gotta do it.
1: Of course, well, you know, I have my own bias, of course. And I I mean, I wrote a book about how to quit your job and be an entrepreneur, you know, that was the $100 startup. And I think what I've learned, another thing I've learned, um, you know, through this process is, uh, you know, you can actually be very fulfilled, you know, working in an organization or a company. And it's very important to pay attention to not just our ideal work, but our ideal working conditions. And those are things like how we like to spend our time. Uh, how much time we prefer working on our own versus working with other people, how we're motivated and rewarded and incentivized for our work. And so lots of people are going to find their dream job within a company or organization. Uh, I talked to a woman who was the first female firefighter in Mississauga, Ontario, more than 20 years ago. And she's been a firefighter for 23 years now. And you know, it was her dream. And she kind of went through all these challenges and obstacles you know, to overcome and, and achieve that dream. And that's a great example, because if you want to be a firefighter, obviously, it's a hugely rewarding you know, career that's going to save lives and make a tremendous difference in the world. But you can't be an entrepreneurial firefighter, right? You, have, you can't be a freelance firefighter. You have to go through the process, <laughs> and you know, the discipline and, and all of that. So, but I think it's good to, you know, if you are an employee, no problem. But, you know, you have to take control of your own destiny. You have mm-hmm. to take control of your career. And so I wrote a lot about being a self-employed employee where you're essentially you know, becoming indispensable you are looking out for yourself. Maybe you are kind of building something on the side to create you know, security and give you increased confidence, even if you decide to stay in the day job. That's a great place to be in when you go to work because you want to go to work, not because you have to.
0: Most nights, usually around 6 o'clock at night at my house, you'll hear, What do you want to have for dinner? Yeah, my husband and I are the worst at meal planning, and too often we end up ordering in or making bowls of cereal, neither of which is healthy, appetizing, or cost-effective. It's no way to live, people. So it is with such joy and relief that I'm introducing today's sponsor, PrepDish. PrepDish is a subscription-based meal planning service that takes the stress out of planning your meals. With Prep Dish, you get an email every week that contains a grocery list of seasonal ingredients plus instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. And for just two hours of prep, you get a week's worth of delicious meals. I'm talking Romesco baked salmon with roasted sweet potatoes, turkey and zucchini lasagna. Prep dish is offering so money listeners a special rate of four dollars for the first month's worth of meal plans. It's a dollar per week. Go to Prepdish.com/slash so money to start today. And by the way, they specialize in gluten-free, dairy-free, and paleo meals for all you health nuts out there. PrepDish.com slash SoMoney. Chris, you've been to every country in the world?
1: I have, yeah. have,
0: you, have you been to Iran? I have yes. When were you I've there? Been... I, I'm. My yeah. parents are Iranian. I've been. Yeah. I was in Iran when I was like eight months old. I had my first birthday there. I was born in the states, but I've not been back since, um, for a host of reasons. But what? When did you go? And what was that like?
1: Yeah. So I mean, this was an 11-year quest, and it wasn't like I was doing it all full time, but it was kind of like my my big focus for at least six of those years. You know, while I was writing and building the the business, so. Uh, I spent about half the time, like you know, navigating the process of visas and and flights and all of that. So, so for Iran in particular, I actually haven't done a proper tour of the mainland. I'm actually hoping to do that later this year. But for Iran, I went to Kish Island, uh, which is an Iranian territory, which is uh, just a little bit off the coast of of the UAE, United yes. Arab Emirates. So I did that. Maybe when was that? I think 2011 or 2012.
0: So you went to the Bahamas um, it was of a Iran, nice place. basically.
1: <laughs> the Bahamas of Iran, yeah. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it's a little bit different than the Bahamas, you know, off the coastal U.S., but sure.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, so that's cool. I um, I'm, I was like, really? Every single – how about North Korea?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, so the, the countries that people ask about are not – necessarily the most difficult ones. You know, people ask about Iran, people ask about Iraq and North Korea. But the, the more difficult countries, actually, it was a visa situation. It was small countries in Africa that, that don't get a lot of tourism. Maybe they have a dictator that runs the country. It mm. doesn't want a lot of people to go in. So those were actually the bigger challenges like Eritrea, uh, Somalia, uh, Central African Republic, some of those kind of places. But, you know, I, I kind of persisted and I, I was willing to show up places without a visa. Also, just, you know, in, in hopes of, of it working out. Speaking of uncertainty.
0: Wow. I have a guest coming on the show later in May who, uh, a female traveler who, like you, her goal is to really travel to as many countries as possible. And every year she goes to a few destinations that are quite challenging to enter, um, including North Korea. And she, it turned into a book just because it was such a mm. such an experience. And so I'm uh, dying to like get all the details from her yeah, when she comes on. Um, so given that you have... Now this amazing career that you have designed that you're helping people with finding their career passion. Um, and of course you have this other passion of travel. I would love to learn how money plays into all of that for you, whether it's a a lesson that you can teach us, whether it's a a financial lesson that has helped you support you in your career, maybe even as you're traveling, what's uh, something that, um, you feel is like maybe your money mantra.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a big picture thing and then a very practical thing. So the big picture thing is, you know, I did I didn't begin the quest to go to every country in the world when I hadn't traveled at all. Like when when you kind of work towards something, your goal increases, you gain confidence, and so I had traveled for quite a bit. I was living in West Africa as, as an aid worker. I was there for four years in Sierra Leone and Liberia. So I'd been to maybe thirty countries or so. And then um, there was this moment that kind of changed everything for me. I was riding a train in Eastern Europe. And I was making notes in my notebook of all the different countries I had been to. I was always a big list person. I like to make lists you know, I love checking things off. And so I wrote a list of all the countries I'd been to. And I was also very goal oriented. I always had goals like every day, every week, every month. And so I set a goal of going to 100 countries. And I did I did kind of like some rough math and rough calculation. And I realized that it would cost approximately $30,000 should get to the 100 countries. And so once I realized that, I was like, wow, you know, like I don't have to do that. I don't have to pay $30,000 tomorrow. Like this is an investment that I can make over a number of years. You know, to me, it's absolutely worth it to say like all of those experiences that I'm going to have. Like I'm actually going to choose to value this. And, and even if I don't have $30,000 in the bank, you know, my friends are buying cars, you know, back home that cost $30,000 mm-hmm, or 20,000. Right. My friends are going into debt for, for all kinds of things, right? So it's my investment. I'm going to choose to invest in this life experience because I believe it's, it's valuable and rewarding and I'm going to be frugal elsewhere in order to do that. So that was the big picture that guided things for a long time. And maybe the, the smaller practical thing is um, I do actually have a habit of being too frugal. And uh, for a long time when I traveled, um, I would be in situations where I was I was kind of unwilling to spend money you know for something that I believed was too expensive and so for example in the airport I would just not buy any food because I'm like oh it's just ridiculous you know, I'm not gonna pay you know the nine dollars or something right exactly and so then so then it was kind of like I was self-defeating because it was like I'll show them you know I'm not gonna pay buy for their nine dollar sandwich I'll just be <laughs> I'll like, just starve. Tired. yeah I'll just be really tired at the end of the day I have any energy. I won't actually be able to do the work that I'm supposed to do, which is probably going to make a lot more than $9, you know? So (laughs) the rule I set for myself uh, was the $10 rule. And maybe it's actually gone up a little bit now, but at the time it was like, if I am traveling Um, and there's something I can purchase for myself that will cost $10 or less that will help me feel better or help me make, be a little bit more comfortable. I will buy it without thinking about it. Like, I will ask myself that quick question, will this help me? Will this $9 sandwich be good for me? Yes, then I will buy it. And the $10 rule, like over time, it doesn't actually add up to a ton of money, um, but it adds up to a lot more well-being. So once I started doing that, I was a lot less stressed.
0: And of course, you know, maybe it's, it's a few $10 purchases. It's not like, if I come across 16 things that are all worth $10 and they're right, all right, going to, you right. know, so you, there were some parameters yeah. around that, I
1: suspect. There were some parameters. Yeah. But the <laughs> idea was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wait two hours in the rain, you know, to take the bus. If, uh, if there's another way to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to do it that way. And I, I've spent so many, you know, so many experiences of waiting two hours in the rain in the bus that I was like, okay, I'm done with that, you know, and there's a time for that. That's great. But now I actually want to focus on some other stuff.
0: What was your upbringing like and specifically your financial uh, uh, environment? You know, what, what were some of the lessons learned as a kid growing up? Maybe just one that was very pivotal sure. for you. And now as an adult, you look back on it and say, you know, that was like a very defining money moment for me as a kid.
1: Yeah, that's really good. I don't know if I've thought much about that. Uh, my parents were divorced and and for a while my mom uh, married this guy who was in the Air Force. So we moved around a lot. And we were in the Philippines for about two years uh, when I was six to age eight or so. And my dad was back in the States. And I remember he sent me an allowance and he would mail like uh, it was either one dollar or two dollars, I forget, every week. And so I kind of looked forward to that. And like I remember like saving up my dollars. I would try to save, you know, to get to ten dollars or something. Uh, and then I think he changed it at some point. Maybe maybe here's what it was. It was a one dollar a week allowance And then he started adding an additional dollar and the additional dollar was, uh, to, to buy something or to have some kind of experience. Like the $1 was for me to do whatever I wanted with. And there was some kind of next level thing with the additional dollar. I'll have to go back and ask him what it was. But I remember kind of, you know, being careful about that and separating the money and kind of seeing it as like this early form of a savings account. So, you know, between that and some other stuff, I think I did actually, I did actually learn some good habits in terms of money. I actually, you know, was, was a big believer in saving, you know, in delayed gratification and investing in the future Mm -hmm. from a young age.
0: I love that your dad sent you the money weekly. So it was something to like kind of wait for and anticipate and maybe probably gave you some inherently, it taught you some good discipline.
1: Right. And I'm also looking forward to it arriving. Like there's this moment of anticipation participation. Mm-hmm. It was probably smart of him to do it weekly because now like as an adult, I can think, well, he's mailing it to the Philippines. Like maybe it's just easier to send $4, you know, once a month, Right. but it's like, you know, with, for a kid, I think it's actually better to get it on a more regular basis. Like every week it's coming. So he was probably smart.
0: I love in that. that. Way. And I hope you do reconnect with him and ask more about that. Cause I'm sure <laughs> he has a perspective too, that he hasn't shared with you on that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I will send him an email after this call.
0: <laughs> you can thank me later. Um, Chris, tell uh-huh. me a little bit about your number one financial habit if you have something that you do regularly, I know you're like big into lists and you're very um, organized, but like when it comes to your money, what's something that you do?
1: Yeah, so here's something I do that affects my money, my life, my career, everything. Uh, once a year, I do this process called an annual review. And I actually spend a few days or even up to a week just kind of like looking back on everything, all the lessons of the year. Uh, so I am looking at career. Lessons, life lessons, relationship, you know, projects, but also financial. And in financial, I'm looking at three categories, um, like the income category, the savings category, and then the giving category. So I want to be, I want to be, you know, healthy, I want to maintain healthy habits in all three of those. And then I set goals for the next year. So there's this whole like process that I go through. And then the goals are like, okay, I have like, you know, four or five different projects, you know, here's my number or my matrix that I hope to achieve. Achieve, you know, for each of these, and then I hope to save either a certain percentage or it's a dollar figure, and then I hope to you know give to charity some you know some appropriate percentage that, that is that is challenging for me that I'm actually I actually feel like I'm giving substantially, and so I've been doing that process, and it helps a lot. I think it was a year or two year or two ago I realized I'd actually kind of gotten off the the giving track. Like, I continued to give, but I didn't increase my giving as the income was increasing. So by doing that review, it really helped me because I could look back and see. I'm like, okay, I I say that I'm, you know, giving. I say that I have this life of gratitude, but here's the data. You know, like the data is very clear. I could look at the numbers in the spreadsheet. I'm actually not giving as much as I I say I do or as much as I intend to. So now I can kind of course correct because I know exactly what I need to do.
0: Chris, I want to thank you so much for your time. You're heading on a how many country tour for this Um, book?
1: Yeah, it's, it's just 30 cities. So it's 30 cities, mostly 30 in North cities, America, but then yeah, a few places in Europe and Australia as well.
0: Well, we can't wait to cheer you on on the sidelines. We well, thank you so much for stopping by on our show to uh, give us the goods about Born for This, how to find the work you were meant to do. Chris Gillibo, thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much, Farnish.
0: That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Chris, please go to his website, chrisgillibeau.com. His last name is is spelled G-U-I-L-L-E-B-E. E-A-U. And it's also on Twitter at Chris Gillibo. All this information back at somoneypodcast.com, including the transcript, the audio and comments for this episode and all previous episodes. And if you want to get in touch, ask me a question, leave a comment for the show. Click on Ask Farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. And that's the best way for us to connect. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Don't forget, tomorrow, April 6th, 10 p.m. Eastern Pacific, follow The Leader on CNBC. In the meantime, Hope your day is so money.